0: Welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast with Heather Hakes, where mindset is everything. Thank you for joining me on my podcast where I release two new episodes every single week. Mondays, you can expect to hear from me overcoming a personal obstacle or a challenge or an aha moment. And on Wednesdays, I love interviewing others who have overcome obstacles, leveraged adversity, and share their stories with you to inspire and motivate you to keep going and know that no matter what, it's all about your mind over matter. The fact that you ended up on my podcast means you are on your own self-development journey. I want to offer you, if you are ready to level up and take it a step further and deep dive to figure out how to get yourself unstuck or overcome your own obstacles, or you just need some guidance and new perspective. I offer one-on-one coaching. Please visit my website directly at heatherhakes.com, fill out the form, and let's hop on a call. Without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to episode number 203. This week, you are in for a special treat. I have brought on an expert in millennial mindset, and she's also coined as the millennial therapist. We cover everything from failure to myths about motivation and so much more. Make sure you listen all the way to the end. Welcome to today's episode. I brought on Tess Brigham. Tess, welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I know you've been coined the millennial therapist, but
1: if you would give listeners a little background, where do you live and what do you do? Sure. So I am a native Northern -er, Californianer and I live right now in the San Francisco Bay Area. I primarily grew up in Berkeley. Um, And I am a licensed psychotherapist and I'm also a board certified coach. And so I take what I call sort of the best of both worlds of psychotherapy and coaching. And I meld them together um, to help my clients and to help the companies that I work with and parents and and everybody to not only understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, but how do I change it and how do I make changes in my life so I can see uh, my behavior changing. Um, because I was getting frustrated as a psychotherapist, sort of getting stuck in the insight stage, but nothing ever changing.
0: Well, and for those that don't know, and I, I think there's so many terms out there, a therapist, a counselor, a, what is a psychotherapist?
1: What so, okay. So if a psychotherapist, I hold a master's degree and I've gone through the process of becoming licensed. So psychotherapist is the same as like a counselor, uh, a therapist, you might hear the word term psychologist. Usually that's reserved for people who have a PhD. And so what's kooky about the the world of the, the mental health world is there are some people who are psychologists that primarily just do research. They're PhDs. They just do research and teaching. There are other psychologists that work directly with people. Um, So a lot of it is just based on the level of education um, and, uh, and and so on. So I know a lot of times I tell people don't get too bogged down by the initials behind someone's name. Yeah. As long as they're licensed and they <laughs> and you and you feel like they know what they're talking about, um, then they're the right fit for you. So
0: I think this is a great line to draw and explain the difference between a therapist and a coach and how you've combined them. So could you do that?
1: Sure. Um, so. The best way to describe it is I, I always say that, um, therapy is about the past and it's very much looking at what's happened in the past and how it affects you today. And coaching is really about the future and looking at where you are today and where you want to go in the future. Um, a coach is someone who isn't going to delve into the past and they shouldn't delve into the past, um, The process of becoming a licensed psychotherapist is a much longer process of completing education and then completing a number of hours working directly with people in various settings. As a therapist, I'm able to diagnose people with mental health disorders and treat them. As a coach, really what you're doing is you are learning the tools and techniques of how to work with people and relate to people who are um, who are able to manage their own mental health issues is the best way of saying it. So they're mentally in a, in a place where they're able to manage their stresses and their anxieties, and they are ready to take their, themselves and take what they're doing right now to the next level. So usually you'll see coaches work with athletes and executives and and people who are excelling where they are in life and want to take things to another place Um, so how i combine the two is i really look at i look at where you are today and i use the past to help inform me of why you think the way you think today and and why you have the mindset that you do and but i'm not getting stuck there i think a lot of times we tend to get stuck in this place of I had this trauma or I've had this history in the past and this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And what coaching allows me to do is to be able to go, okay, we've, we've processed that. We understand that. So how do you look at this and push forward in your life? How do you make big changes so that you're not stuck in the past and that you're able to start to move towards the future and I do believe, I think a lot of times psychotherapists and, and the world in general tends to think of people who are struggling with anxiety and mental health issues as being that they can't move forward in their lives, that they're sort of, they're stuck. And I do believe that you can work on the past and issues that you have from the past and continue to move forward in your life. Um, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. And I think that as you grow as a person. And as you, I know just for myself, as I've grown and developed as a human being, I, the things from my past that I've always struggled with, they kind of rear their head and I go, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's my, that's my way of thinking. That's, you know, that's because of this. Okay. Now I need to understand that in order to keep moving forward. I think that's such a
0: important definition. Uh, well, defining those roles. So in, in this topic, of interest, the millennial mindset and
1: mastering it. What does that even mean? (laughs) Well, I came up with that because, um, I started working with millennials and I know that the name millennial sort of ruffles a lot of feathers. And when I say that, I'm really, I'm talking about a group of people that were raised during a certain era and time who were highly influenced by, um, the birth of the internet and social media. And so I, I, I use that as sort of a framework. But what I noticed was that I didn't I didn't start a practice in San Francisco with the idea that young adults would show up, but they just did. And what I found is a couple different things. First what I found was that the people that were coming to me, I could absolutely relate to them and their struggles and it was like god, this is what it's like to be in your 20s and you know how difficult it is to navigate it and yeah, you're kind of you know, your brain doesn't fully form until you're 25, you're trying to figure out who you are and who you are as a human being, and at the same time trying to figure out what do I want for my life? You know, uh, who do I want to be with? Do I want to be, you know, all these big life questions. Like, What's my career? And so I could really relate to that because I also was in San Francisco in my 20s and I remember those feelings, but there was a huge piece of it that was so different than what I experienced, which was the piece of the social media which was the internet, the ability of how, Oh God, you know, yeah, your boss can kind of text you anytime, can't they? And wow, email never shuts down. And just, I noticed that they had pressures that I never had because, you know, the work day ended and de- I would go home and my boss had no way of reaching me. And I noticed it was like, wow, you have a lot of pressures. You're always on, you know, and social media means that you're constantly comparing yourself to other people. And there's always this feeling of you being able to do better and be better. And that's when I started researching um, sort of the millennial generation, trying to understand, you know, what happened here in our culture, how social media has influenced people, how the internet has changed things. And so when I started working with clients, I really started to formulate these different sort of things that I saw that I felt like were parts about being young that, that millennials especially needed to focus on. So um, the first one is, you know, really around what I noticed is a lot of my clients were struggling with validation and knowing how to validate themselves, which I think is incredibly difficult. And we tend to look outside of ourselves for validation and social media is one of those things that makes it so easy. Like I, I put this, I post this picture, how many likes am I going to get? And I was always amazed by the clients who felt like, oh, I only got four happy birthdays on Facebook, or I only get 20 people to like my photo. And suddenly this became how they were seeing themselves, how they were defining themselves. And so that's the first mindset challenge that I work on with them, which is really helping them understand that you have to develop your own sense of self, your own, and you have to learn how to validate yourself outside of other people. Because when we put our sense of self and who we are in other people's hands, then what we have no control over other people, right? So they can just take it and run off with it. (laughs) You know, that's it's. It's a very powerful part of who we are and we're giving it to someone else.
0: How do you validate yourself? I can hear somebody asking that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so it is not, I I, I will say it is not easy. Um, And you do, we always need, we obviously always need help and we do need people to pick us up and cheer us on. But what I really recommend to my clients is, to be able to when you are on your own and you need that boost of validation not to go on social media not to look outside of yourself but to really look inside of who you are and remember you have moments and choices right in those moments and time to decide how am i going to look at myself and what am i going to remember about myself and i'll do this exercise with people it's called like in the coaching world, it's called the success review where an athletes do this too, right before they're going to, you know, an Olympic athlete right before they're going to go step up to perform. Right. Is it's reviewing a moment in time where you feel like I really killed it. Like I really nailed it. I got up there. I did it. I gave the talk. I, I landed the interview. I, and really being able to spend a couple minutes, just reviewing that in your mind to remember for yourself, This is, yes, I have it, I can do it, that I don't need to look outside of me in order to remember that I have the ability to do this for myself. And what that really is, is what a lot of sociologists and other people that are studying, which is called resilience. It's like this inner resilience and strength that we each have, and it's whether or not we decide to tap into it is really important. And the more we tap into it, the more that we remember those things, the more, those are like building blocks. The more we do it, the more successful we become, the more successful we become, the more, you know, it it really builds upon itself versus being in those moments and always having to rely on other people to say, you got this, you can do this. Or looking outside and sort of using the social media, you know, likes as validation. Because again, you don't have a lot of control over that. So something that came to mind that I want to ask you is
0: the term a humble brag so when did uh, we when did we step into the space of you know like you don't want to seem arrogant or cocky or full of yourself so just a humble brag
1: <laughs> <laughs> well I mean I think I think there's a dif- I think there's a big difference I mean I personally have a hard time with social media like I don't really like it because I do find there's a lot of this comparison and the humble brags and all of that but I I think that that are you thinking let me clarify then are you thinking that part of that of looking inside of yourself and saying okay I got this I'm doing this feels like a humble brag I just think I'm kind
0: of feeling through some maybe it was social conditioning I don't know that you don't want to brag about your wins and the things you've accomplished so it's like we we kind of play small i mean Mm -hmm. that's why we're seeking external validation because we stop doing it internally yeah
1: um i definitely think i mean i i agree with you in terms of the social conditioning and i think this is especially for women right is that you are conditioned as a female to not you know if you're too don't be too much don't take up too much space um You know, don't, don't be arrogant. Don't be boastful. A lot of these things that I think men are easily able to step into, we struggle to step into because of that social conditioning. And I understand that piece of the, I feel like when I, when I think about this idea of validating yourself, it's such an internal thing. You're not telling anybody any of this, (laughs) you know, it's your own, it's, it's, it's the relationship you have with yourself. That's the core. And at the end of the day, what we all have is the relationship that we have with ourselves. So I think there's a big difference between kind of putting things out there into the world, hoping for people to validate it versus being able to look at yourself as a whole person and like who you are and appreciate who you are, see yourself as a complete person with both good and bad and wins and losses, and be able to, in these moments, know, I got this. I can do this. I think that's a big difference between announcing it somewhere. And I think that is the piece of it, right? which is there is that feeling these days to constantly put everything that we experience out into the world versus keeping it for ourselves.
0: Okay. I have a question. I'm going to put myself on the spot and I want to know if this is relatable to the humble brag, that kind of self-validation. And I've shared this with other people that um, things that I've accomplished, either running a marathon, publishing a book, um, other doing a triathlon, whatever. I don't think they're a big deal. People outside of me are like, Heather, that's such a big deal. But I think it's that I just is it? And I'm asking. Am, am I delusional? But I think I've put myself. Just I expect so much of myself, and I am an achiever and a go getter that I just think that's normal for me. That's not a big deal. Is mm-hmm. that have anything to do with self validation?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a bit of it. I mean, I think I would say to you then, if you if so. When you see your friends accomplishing things like this, when you see them doing that, do you think to yourself that's awesome, that's amazing, that's wonderful? You mean if if somebody
0: else publishes a book or yeah, or, uh, does some great uh, um I guess I've never really yeah, I I don't like sit back and and cheer in the crowd. I don't no. know. Hm.
1: Well, I I mean it definitely sounds like then it it feels like obviously you're someone who puts your mind to things and you get things done, which is amazing. I think that's, that is probably, that's 95% of any battle in life, right? It's one thing to have a book idea. It's another one to sit down and write the book and get it published. Right. But I guess then for you, it's about how often do you really allow yourself to sit and it doesn't have to be something that you humble brag to the world. But how often do you really allow yourself to sit down and go, wow, you know, I accomplished something. There was a beginning, a middle, and an end to this, and I and I did it. And there's nothing wrong. It's there's nothing wrong with you being able to feel good about what you've accomplished and at the same time think, I'm gonna keep pushing myself and keep pushing myself and keep pushing myself because that's what's that's what's important to me. But what is the point? I mean if you enjoy the process, that's the most important part. What I see a lot of I have a lot of clients that I see this where they they create a goal for themselves like you know um, I want to achieve vP status by this age or I want to you know get this kind of uh review or make this much money and what they'll do is they'll you know work endlessly for it and get it and think, okay, now I should be happy mm. right that's I think that's the piece that's really huge is that people think, okay, now this will make me happy. Now I'm making X, Y, and Z amount of money. And what happens is they look back and go, I've been miserable for five, six, seven, ten 10 years to achieve this and I'm not happy. So I think part of it for you is two things, right? Part of it is, do you enjoy the process? Like do you if you enjoy the process of writing a book and putting it out there into the world, if you enjoy that and that feels good to you, then that's amazing and wonderful and you should feel good about it and celebrate it. But if you're like, I hate this, why am I doing this? <laughs> you know, then, then that's a different story. Well, I can speak on both sides. So that example you gave climbing the corporate ladder
0: more or less, mm-hmm. I understand what that's like, but I, I also believe it's because people are chasing the things they think they should be chasing and that will bring them happiness where you're right. When I've been on my journeys for my goals, I love who I become in the process. I love challenging myself. I love growing and I love seeing, okay, what am I capable of next? So I totally, I get both because I used to be in the corporate world and I used to chase the things that were supposed to make me happy. Yes, yes.
1: And I think what's hard is, is that um, what's hard is when you're young, it is hard to know exactly what it is that you want and what makes you happy and not happy. That's a big part about developing who you are. And so what's, what's very challenging and what I see a lot of with my clients, this is a bit of what happens with the quarter life crisis is this moment in time of, oh, wait, I thought this was going to make me happy, but actually it doesn't. And you realize like, oh, this not, this isn't what happiness is. And the other part of it too is, is that I often tell my clients like, you're not really striving. It's not about striving for happiness. It's about striving for meaning. Like what is meaningful to you? Because happiness like passion is fleeting. It comes, it goes, it's all over the place. You don't know. And the reality is, is that careers are long. Life is long. Careers are long. It takes a long time. It takes a chunk of time to figure out what it is that you want to do and what you're good at. It takes a chunk of time of then doing it over and over again and getting really good at it. And then you got to spend some time like refining it. And, and then long into it, you become someone who people seek out for your knowledge. And so... That is long, and if you are relying on passion, it is it's never going to work. But if you think about it from a place of meaning, like what's meaningful to you? what's important to you? How do you want to be in this world? How do you want to show up? How do you want people to feel when they meet you and leave you? You know, how do you want um, how do you want to spend your days is huge. Like I'm amazed by people who who are chasing these careers that require them to do things that they absolutely hate all day, every day. And I'm like, so the money and the title that fades, like that's not, that's not going to sustain you. Okay. Let's talk about failure. Okay. That's another, that's another millennial mindset that we, that I cover. Um, And what I've noticed is, is that, we very much, especially, I see it a lot out here in the San Francisco Bay Area because there are a lot of people out here that are very, very smart and very talented, very smart. They come here, they've gone to fabulous schools, they've gone to Stanford, they've gone to Berkeley, they've, they've worked very hard and they get into the working world. And there is such a tremendous fear about being, needing to be perfect. And there's such a fear of failure as if failure is, if they fail at this, this is the worst thing that could ever happen to them. And I see um, what I, the the millennial mindset shift that I try to teach my clients is, is that failure is a good thing. Failure is positive. We need failure. You're not going to go through life without it. And that embrace it now and don't fear it. Because I think what happens is, is that, well, nobody enjoys failing. While the process of it sucks, the if you fear it and don't allow yourself to possibly get there, then you, you, right, I mean, what? Nothing's going to change. You're never going to do anything. You're never going to take risks. Yeah. And right, without the ris- risk, then there's no point in anything. Then you're never going to know. How do you reframe failure then?
0: I've tried to come up with a word. I haven't come up with a word.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I try to just say like f- failure. I just say that, you know, failure is awesome. Like failure is a good thing. That failure is about, it It doesn't feel good in the moment, but that it isn't about that. That part that you cannot be, you cannot go through this life without failing at some point and something. There's just, there's no way of it. So, You know, I I think that to, I understand that feeling of like, well, if we could try to call it like a, you know, um, you know, this great learning lesson, and I know it's a little bit of like what your parents would say to you, it doesn't matter if you win or lose, you know, all of those kinds of things, but there is so much knowledge in failure. There's so much knowledge about yourself in failure that, if you think about, I really want to learn and grow and push myself and, and do big things that if you want that precious knowledge, it sits within the failure. Mm. So you want to get there and it's never going to feel good. I think the, the problem is right. It goes back to this happiness thing in the world that we live in, where there's this constant chase of happiness and I don't this is a big thing for my clients is that they often say like they don't want to feel bad I don't want to have bad feelings And there are no good or bad emotions just the emotions that we have just the feelings that we have so try not to define or or Say, you know sadness is bad and happiness is good. They're just emotions that are giving us information And in the end no feeling is final So even if you fail and it feels terrible, it will end. It will end. It always does. Yeah. Okay. What about, and this one is my
0: fave, myths about motivation.
1: (laughs) So, and I, I, for a long time was very, um, I also had a lot of myths myself about motivation because I really, for a long, long time thought that it was about that motivation was really about, you know, that creative spark. And the idea, and you gotta wait for the idea to come and 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 all of that good stuff. And you've written a book, so I think you probably know this one well, which is that it's not about waiting for the perfect ideal moment to get something done, that it's really about sitting down and doing it. Nike had it right all along. That whether it's working out, whether it's writing a book, whether it's like cleaning, cleaning your car, that I really love um, Mel Robbins' five, you know, the five second rule. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever talked about this, but, you know, she's got this thing called the five second rule, which has got nothing to do with food being dropped on the floor. But it's this idea of from, you have about five seconds from the time in which you have an idea to the time in which your brain will kill the idea, thinking that it's too hard, too difficult, too much. I don't feel like doing it. And what she's saying is, is that you have this instinct to, I'm going to work out. It is five, four, three, two, one, get on, start moving, physically moving, get on your shoes and get going. And, um, because if we wait to feel like we want to do something, we will never do it. Yeah. And so what I'm always teaching my clients is, is that success is scheduled I'm sure when, right, when you wrote your book, you had a, probably had like, I'm going to write from 10 a.m. to noon this day. And that you write, you must have blocked things off. I'm sure you sat in front of the computer thought, okay, I want to hear all about this. Confession. (laughs) I, when I would sit
0: down to try to write, I was forcing it. Mm. When
1: I allowed
0: an inspired thought came, then I literally could sit down and write multiple chapters. So mm-hmm. it was very interesting for me in that process that I, I had to allow the inspired thought to come. But I know what you're talking about. So let's say we're talking laundry because who likes laundry? I hate folding. Mm-hmm. But I think it's all about discipline and habits. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, and so there's a great book by Stephen Pressfield called "The War of Art," where he talks about, and he's like had a military background, so I do understand that he very much subscribes to this idea of like I'm a professional writer, I start my work at nine, I finish writing at five, and i I agree with you, but that that rigidness can be difficult, so I do think that, that when it comes to, it kind of, I think some of it is, it's sometimes it's a bit dependent upon, um, what you're doing, right. Because laundry is one of those things that you don't have to have a creative spark for. Um, and when you're doing something creative, it is important for you to have a creative spark in terms of doing it. But what I, I know for myself, when I have to sit down and write that if I don't feel inspired, what I do is I just start reading. I just start reading and start getting ideas and I start thinking about various things. And even if I write for a couple hours and what I have in the end isn't quite what it is, I am moving towards something. I am, you know, I am growing and pushing something into it. And I do think that if you have a goal that you want to accomplish You've got to figure out you, you can't just sort of say, okay, in six months, I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to lose 30 pounds, right? You have to have these markers and these ways of getting it done. And at the same time, I do think there is something about really saying, I work out these days of the week, whether I feel like it or not. And I think that's the myth of motivation is we do spend a lot of time going in circles and debating with ourselves, like, should I do it now? Should I go? Should I run? Should I jog? Should I that Right? Yeah. And I, and I do think that if you want to accomplish something big, that you have to, it has to be scheduled. You know, you have to have a time that you, and you have to commit to it less about, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't to this is what I do this time, this day. I used to work at, um, I've worked a lot with uh, addiction and I used to work at a drug and alcohol treatment center. I've worked at a couple and I've worked with a lot of people in recovery. And they have this thing called 90 meetings in 90 days. And the idea of it is when you, in early recovery, you should commit to going to 90 meetings in 90 days. And the idea of it is, is that instead of saying, okay, yeah, go out, try try to catch two to three, maybe four meetings a week. And then people go, oh, okay. And they try to schedule it and they don't do it. When you say 90 meetings in 90 days, it's you wake up in the morning and you're not debating. Do I go to a meeting today? Should I go to it later? Should I go tomorrow? You're doing it that day. Like you're going to the meeting. You don't have a choice. And 90, you know, it takes, studies have shown, it takes 66 days to create a habit. Some people it's less, some people it's more. 90 days is one of those pieces in the, in for a lot of people that feel like habits really form like by 90 days. And so the idea of it is when you're in early recovery and you're, there's this whole thing of like first thought wrong. Like when you're in that place of you've made a series of poor choices and now you're trying to make different choices for yourself and you're having to stop listening to your addict brain and start listening to a different part of your brain, that that part of the brain doesn't have to decide whether or not they're going to go to a meeting. And a big connection between habits is habits and willpower. And one of the reasons why we deplete our willpower is through decision-making. So if you wake up in the morning and are deciding whether or not you're going to work out, whether or not you're going to work on your book, then that is, that is depleting your willpower and making it harder for you to get motivated and have the energy to get, the, get everything done that you want to get done.
0: That's like one big vicious cycle.
1: It is. It is. It is. So
0: from today's conversation, what is one key takeaway you want listeners to get?
1: Um, That that failure is a good thing. That failure is awesome. Don't run from it. We need it. I've, I can't even tell you how many failures I've had in my life. Too many to count. And, and I'm grateful for all of them. It's kind of like bad dose of medicine, but it's, you need it.
0: That's powerful. Okay, so to wrap up this interview, I have a couple of rapid-fire questions for you. The first one being, what is a quote or motto that you live
1: by? Um, One of my favorite quotes is by Dr. Susan David. She wrote a book called, I mean, yeah, Dr. Susan David, she wrote a book called Emotional Agility, which is a great book. And she says that, Let me. I want to get this right. So courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is fear-walking. Hmm. So if you want to be courageous and brave, it's yeah. not about being without fear. It's about being fearful and walking towards the things that you fear.
0: There's a couple of renditions of that because actually something oh. I read more recently, very similar, but yeah, you're right. Courage is not the absence of fear, but courage or bravery is feeling the fear and doing it anyway.
1: Yeah. Like, I think she yeah. probably took it from someone else, <laughs> but uh, I read it in her book. And Emotional yeah. Agility is a great book. I highly, really recommend. Well, darn it, because that's question number two. A oh. book you're currently reading? <laughs> yeah, well, or I'm highly not, recommend. Yeah, I mean, I'm not currently reading that, but um, it's a great book. But I'm actually reading because I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. Mm-hmm. I'm reading her book Dare to Lead which I'm loving. And it's, if you're someone who wants to know anything, I think Brene does the best job of talking about what it's like to be a human being, this concept of enoughness. Like, how do I feel like I'm enough? And at the core, you know, um, what does it mean to be vulnerable in your life? And what is really vulnerability? Because we have a lot of misconceptions about what it is. And if you can really understand it, embrace it and practice it, you will lead a very different kind of life.
0: Hmm. I actually have that. So I guess that's my nudge to read it. (laughs) Okay. So final question for you, what advice would you give your younger self?
1: Uh, I would say Tess, enjoy, enjoy the process. Be here now because Time, I cannot believe I am in my like mid-40s now. I mean, that's the part that kills me. So I look at the wrinkles and all of these other pieces. I cannot believe how fast time moves. I have clients who I'll get their birth dates and I'm like, oh God, you, you were born the year I graduated from high school. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. it's cra- I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy to think about it. But time moves. So you be here now. You only have today powerful, powerful statement. (laughs) Tess, thank you so much for joining me
0: and sharing your insight. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. To connect with me even further, follow me on Instagram at heather.hakes. You can find me on YouTube to get even more information and video content and my website, heatherhakes.com. I'll catch you on the next episode.